and that jarring cacophony with added guitar played by the lead actor tells oh. you that my co-host <laughs> I, I resign this was left anyway we'll see if he comes back once I talk through a little bit more you're listening to the Power of Three podcast the Doctor Who podcast that's been bringing you an episode every day this month as we work our way through the universes of Doctor Who in print but who are we and what do we do well to start with I'm Kenny Smith and I'm David Steele welcome back thank you for joining us yes we're doing a different book for each Doctor every day and what's today's date Dave well this is take two listeners this is the 13th it's Monday the 13th of November unlucky for some do you know in, in um, 1990 the 13th of November was on a Tuesday don't ask me why I know that I just do so yes today being the 13th day of the month we're obviously we're doing the 12th Doctor we are indeed as played by our fellow city gentleman Mr Peter Capaldi Peter Capaldi yes that was very good thank you I've been practising oh it is very good <laughs> I think you can maybe put it to good use later on I can think of use but yes today Wait, we're talking you're going gonna to send an email to Mr Briggs <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Dudman's retiring hang on get David well, in funny actually you should say that because I was recently at a thing in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and there was a particular performer there and they did a voice which was very very good and I thought if you posh that up just a little bit you're going to have Peter Capaldi I'm going to tell you who it was and I'm going to cut this out so the listeners will have to work out who it is <laughs> okay it was well they've got them doing everything else already haven't they yeah so they may as well <laughs> absolutely but yes anyway mm, yes. all is good all, all is good yes yeah, so today we are travelling to a story that's perhaps a little bit regal one could say Yes, one could say that, and probably yes. We're doing, we're doing today's book is Royal Bloods by that Una McCormack. That's correct, and well done for pronouncing it correctly. Some people say Una, but it's actually Una. Of course it is. Yeah, Good grief. But she's not of Scottish extract with a name like Una McCormack. She's of Irish extract. I have asked this. Well, well, like um, like Una from the Saturdays. Well, exactly. Yes. But you know what I'm like. I'm trying to assimilate everybody as Scottish. Of course. Of Paul McGann is of course his grandfather was Scottish of course quarter Scottish well I think it was his grandfather yeah he's a quarter Scottish so we've assimilated him That'll and do. in football terms he could have played for Scotland so that's, yeah that's true there we go anyway why does Kenny not do a, foodpo- a football podcast listeners probably because there's not enough hours in the day yeah that's very true on top of a day job Vortex for Big Finish doing some press releases I'm helping out on at the moment and these podcasts yeah I really could do with like an extra two hours a day in which I'm fully awake or an extra day in the week yeah, eight Some, days a week. Something like that. Anyway. Could write a song so, that. Anyway, so, yes. Yes. Scrambling back to the point. Had you read Royal Blood prior to our preparation for this podcast? I had indeed. I picked it up when it first came out and I read it in that initial wave of PCAP books. Okay. And I remembered it I remembered it as being one that was well written, clever plot, and Capaldi was absolutely bang on. And I think that he, he got that. I think that Una got Clara to be the right side of controlling, but not to the point of wanting to drive you mad, as some people well, found she did on television. I never. I always liked Clara. The problem I had, and I've said this a thousand times, thousand times before in the podcast, so I won't label the point this time, is that my beef with the initial couple of series from the Delft Doctor was that the focus was too much on. The relationship between the Doctor and Clara, to me, it felt like you know, I've said this a billion times. Is like watching, uh, you know, a middle of the week ITV relationship drama rather than a weekly adventure in time and space. I've made that point a billion times. I'm saying it again. I forgot to apologise. 
Did you read the other books that came out at the same time? Because it's part of a sequence called The Glamour Chronicles. Yes, there were two other books that came out at this time. There was Deep Time by Trevor Baxendale, and the other one was Big Bang Generation by Gary Russell. And I have to admit that of the three of these, the first one I read was Big Bang Generation, because it's got the Twelfth Doctor meeting Benny Summerfield and some of her gang from the Big Finish audios. Of course. I hadn't read it before. Um, Obviously, Kenny and I have been recording all these episodes over the last few weeks and I was realising that me saying yes I read this book 20 years ago and I can't remember very much about it for 3 or 4 days in the trot was not going to make for good listening so what I've tried to do the last couple of weeks is is um, is try and read some of the books in advance so that I've got a bit more to say about them and I finished this one and sat up finished this one last night I hadn't read it before I started it on Thursday when I was at, um, when I was at work at SWG3 sat in the kitchen waiting to go and take off the support band who were called Pencil. They were supporting the Japanese house. Both bands were lovely. Should look them up and listen to them, listeners. Um, and then I read a bit more of it, SWG3, on Sunday, and I finished it yesterday. And yeah, I really, really liked it. I hadn't didn't read it at the time, obviously. I, I, I bought it quite soon after it came out, and I've got the other two books in the sequence as well. Michelle. And I'm intrigued enough after this one to read them. And going by what, following up on what you were saying about Clara and the Doctor, um, see this is where we diverge and I'll keep it brief and I'll be respectful I didn't I don't like this characterisation of the Doctor at all this standoffish unpleasant <laughs> it just comes across as rude and unpleasant and, un- and uninterested in what's going on it's it's the Clara show um, we talked about um, a tweet that was published the other day by, by one of the Kibblewhite brothers where he'd listed I can't remember if it was Jack or Graham for which I apologise where he'd listed which characters in Doctor Who over the years had the most sort of spoken or most words to say and Clara spoke about something like third or fourth <laughs> after the Doctor, the Master and the Brig, something like that and you sort of go, God, it's not surprising because, you know, because the Doctor was such a... Oops, we've landed. Because the Doctor was such a grump, Clara had to do all the talking. Um, I was never... I didn't get... I was never tired of Clara on TV. The control thing, I mean, that was the thing. You, you're highlighting the sort of control aspect of her personality. That Again, that was just... That wasn't Doctor Who for me. That's ITV, 9pm on a Thursday night, adult drama. It's not what I watched Doctor Who for, which is why, I, to this day, I remain quite cold about the Capaldi era. But I always like Clara because, obviously, Jenna's gorgeous and she's very, very good. She's very likeable. Um, a bit smug at times, but, you know, that's not her fault. So the fact that she's kind of got so much to do in this book didn't bother me I really liked it one thing that sort of struck me was it put me in mind of reading um, the novelizations of some of the historical Hartnell episodes like the massacre or the Aztecs you know or the Crusaders you've got that sort of element of political intrigue and I gotta say up until the point halfway, roughly halfway through the book when um, Clara talks to hang on let me just remind myself what the character was called this is the collapse of my short term. Enfield, right? And Clara says to Enfield, you should go to Earth. Up until that point, I thought we were on Earth. Because there's nothing in the first half of the book to say that we're not. You just sort of, I just assumed this was some ancient sort of city place like Mesopotamia or Byzantium or something that the Doctor and Clara were, were sort of visiting. There's nothing at all that says they're on another planet. 
there's nothing explicit that spells out we're not on Earth. And I was sort of thinking, wow, this is a really, really interesting setup that this ancient civilization has this advanced technology, which is now lost in the present. And, and I thought, is it going to be playing out? Is the plot going to be that it plays out that this ancient technologically advanced civilization ends up being destroyed and all this technology is lost and it's not a tragedy? But they maybe draw a parallel with how technology has led to sort of, you know, the collapse environment. I thought they were maybe going to go with some of that. So I was, uh, colour me gobsmacked listeners when I got halfway through and realised we weren't on Earth at all. <laughs> and I thought, right. So it has been very clever. She, she's taken a sort of structure and feel of a Hartnell historical, a pure historical, and, you know, made it a bit of a, you know, given it a bit of a twist. And I was, I was, because I was picturing, you know, the Metagon, you know, to Spain or somewhere to do the the exteriors, you know, the desert, you know, where they made all the all the Western movies and stuff. Um, and so to find out that we were actually on an alien planet, and that, you know, um, Mikhail and and all that lot, they weren't actually on Earth. I was kind of gobsmacked. Now, did you have that experience, or were you? Well, how did you find? Did you have that sort of? First time I read it, I was quite intrigued by that whole sort of um, swords and sorcery yeah. kind of feel to it. Obviously there's no sorcery involved, but there's that I know what you mean. higher science yeah. meeting medieval, mm. which is something I think Doctor always does well, think like Battlefield mm. um, and then yeah. that sort of thing. But I'll tell you what, why did you read the back cover blurb, Dave? Because yes. there might be something this the thing, that yeah, gave me a hint. We probably should have done that a little bit earlier. I see, I don't think I read the I barely looked at it before I got started. So... Normally, of course, listeners, we do the, the blurb a bit earlier, but I just, I, you know, I'm just rabbiting. So, the Grail is a story, a myth. It didn't exist on your world, it can't exist here. The city-state of Varuz is failing, the capital is crumbling, and its enemies are poised to invade. Duke Aurelian is preparing to gamble everything on one last battle. So, when a holy man, the Doctor, comes to Varuz from beyond the mountains, Aurelian asks for his blessing in the war. But all is not what it seems. The city guard have lasers for swords, and the halls are lit by electric candlelight. Aurelian's wife and his trusted knight seem to be plotting to overthrow their duke, and Clara finds herself drawn into their intrigue. Will the doctor stop Aurelian from going to war? Will Clara's involvement in the plot be discovered? Why is the enemy's ambassador so nervous? And who are the ancient and weary knights claiming to be on a quest for the Holy Grail? Um, we have a heading which reads The Glamour Chronicles and a subheading which continues This trilogy of adventures across time and space follows the Doctor's search for the glamour the most desirable and dangerous artefact in the universe An original novel featuring the Twelfth Doctor and Clara is played by Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman So I suppose the Grail is a story a method that didn't exist in your world that can't exist here is probably the giveaway but I don't know if I took that in uh-huh. I probably just skim past it and just concentrate on the rest but I think because I started to read it when I was at work on a sort of in a lull I was just sort of right concentrating at the start that because it flips between first person narration and third person. So at first you're yeah. sort of going right, who's this guy at the start? I need to remember who is right. Okay, right. Which again made me think of just like some you know, was it going to be set in almost biblical times or something? Because mm-hmm. it's the alien planet thing is not emphasized at all in the first yeah. half. Which I think is, is wonderfully it's underplayed. Genius. It's yeah. genius because it wrong fit shoot it wrong fit me completely and I sort of thought I wonder how many other people had that experience of you know almost the rug being pulled under because it's written around about the same time that Lancelot and all that sort of turn up and yeah. you get the doctor sort of saying and because I was reading it going even at that point I was still sort of going are we still on Earth what time period is this taking place exactly is this later than I thought of you know and of course the Lancelot stuff and I'll talk about King Arthur as you you mentioned Battlefield you know Battlefield gets alluded to slightly. 
Um, even if they'd done a little bit more than that, maybe I, I don't know. But it was um, it was interesting. It was very, very well plotted, as you say. I kind of had the fear when the doctor sent Clara off on their own. I kind of thought, no, you should. He seemed quite happy just to let her wander off and you know, face the the threat of death by walking up into the mountains with these guys. So it was a bit kind of again. But this is just me not liking the twelve doctor characterisation. Don't know. I'm rambling a bit now. You'd better say something, Ken. For me, the strength of this book is very much the characterisation, and I think the fact that we've got the, you know, the setup with the royal household, that we've got the betrayal in there, which is that something very human that we can relate to. You can yeah. imagine that happening. That sort of you know Game of Thrones kind of feel to, to well, with that sort of you know you've got somebody somebody wants to be the ruler when they're not. So well, yeah, in this I case, mean, we've got Duke Aurelian, and here it's his wife who's plotting to take over with. Bernhard. Bernhard, yeah. I mean, the thing is, the Game of Thrones illusion sort of lost on me because I haven't seen it at all. I was reminded sort of like it's a bit Shakespeare, it's quite a Shakespearean sort of setup. Yeah, know. it's quite a familiar sort of thing of you know there's a, an old doctor on the throne and his wife is and his best mate are you know conspiring against him. What you know, familiar tropes, but I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it's a good foundation for solid stories. So it's a good way to kind of these books are quite short, they're quite economical, so they can't really waste too much time on setting up anything unwieldy so it was quite because it's such a sort of familiar setup it was it was good to go yeah I think I mean, this time around because I read the original book in print I actually did the talking book version right and it's read by David Warner oh right okay. who as you can imagine is absolutely perfect for this sort of Capaldi yes. sort of grumpier doctor it's very like his unbound doctor yeah and it's, it's such a great reading he gives it so much character he doesn't play it as Scots though but okay. He's it's such a good reading. It's just, I mean, I was watching the repeat of the like the Omen was on the other night. Oh, and, really? Oh, and watched I love it. That and Patrick movie. Trout in it as well, of course. That's my favourite David Warner movie. Ah, uh, but I was just watching it and just thinking, I can't believe that you know he did so much big finish. He played an unbound doctor, and just he's just such a brilliant voice and just so full of character. Oh, he was and one of the greats, absolutely. Without no a doubt, about it. and um, a real loss to the Doctor Who family and obviously particularly to Lisa Berman. Are we lost? Clara peered down into the deep, narrow valley. It was very beautiful, she had to admit, with the bright green grass and light dusting of mountain flowers, a touch hidey. But it wasn't the quasi-medieval city she had been promised. It was nothing like a city at all. Lost? The doctor waved the sonic screwdriver around in an apparently random fashion. Of course we're not lost. Lost is a state of mind. Lost is an attitude towards one's circumstances. We are lost. Maybe a little. But all we really need is a change of attitude. That, said the doctor, would be a start. Clara smiled to herself. There's a path over there, she said. Looks muddy, but it's definitely a path. Why don't we bring some attitude to that? The doctor shrugged. As long as it's going down. It was indeed going down, and precipitously, but they met the challenge with equanimity and even, Clara thought, with attitude. When they were back on more level ground, the sun was beginning to set. What would happen? Clara said, asking a question which had been troubling her ever since they had arrived on this world. If the TARDIS fell off its perch, They'd materialised on a very steep slope. There had been some considerable manoeuvring to get out. Would it break? Break? 
the doctor stopped mid-step. The TARDIS is a highly sophisticated machine. It's practically alive. Do you think it would just let itself fall off a hill? Really good listen. It was like one of those ones that you don't want to stop because you get so taken in. David brings so much to the to the reading. It's such a great text. Uh-huh. And when you've got the combination of a great story, fantastic characters, very... What's the word I'm looking for? The writing, there's a, there's a pace to it and, ener- and, ener- and an energy and it keeps it alive and it's moving along constantly. But at the same time, the characters are allowed to grow. Yeah, it doesn't feel rushed at any point. It mm-hmm. feels like it's proceeding at a kind of believable sort of pace. There's one, there's one point towards the end that sort of, you get a sense that quite a lot of time has passed off camera, which again is it's a little unsatisfying, but a longer book might have, you know, a book that was allowed to be longer would have probably given you a little bit more time on it, but it, it wasn't fine, it didn't diminish it. The scenes towards the end when the actual big battle sort of starts and Lancelot does his thing and all, that was all very, it was very, in, very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Of course, all the stuff with the, the Holy Grail, or in this case, it wasn't actually the Grail. We won't spoil it and say exactly what it's taken the form of, but it's yeah. not what you expect. And I've enjoyed that aspect because I've mm. always been a fan of King Arthur and things like that, particularly going through to Edinburgh and Arthur's seat, of course, the extinct volcano. And my dad telling me when I was younger that King Arthur's army lies within Arthur's seat, ready for the day to awaken when they're most needed. And that sort of, when you're like seven and eight, that's going to really inspire you and get you interested. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it was, um, the Lancelot King Arthur stuff was, wasn't something I was expecting. So that kind of, again, not wrong footing, but keep keeps you on your toes and keeps you keeps you interested. You know, it's a slow drip feed of stuff throughout. You know, continue with the plot that's really, which really drove it me. Very satisfying. I'm I'm definitely going to read the other two books in the Glamour Chronicles just to see how it winds up. Well, for me, that's a ringing endorsement. So absolutely. Okay. Well, we've endorsed the book. So why don't we hear from the woman who wrote it? Hello, my name's Una McCormack and I write TV tie-in novels and in particular I wrote Doctor Who Royal Blood. Well, well, I have to say, Una, first of all, I'm delighted to welcome somebody who's uh, a New York Times bestseller. Ooh, glamour. (laughs) Yes, that's right. But I I suspect most of us who do these books are at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that was that was for the other show, wasn't it? Not not the real one. It 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 was. It was for the the unmentionable show, the one with <laughs> yeah, the the one with trekking in space. Yeah, that's the one. Space trip, definitely. Space trip. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, turn the clock back a few years. You must have been really delighted when you got the chance to to write for this doctor and this companion. Yeah, absolutely. I think secretly in the back of our minds, all of us who, who kind of work in franchise and times and things, if we do any Doctor Who, I think we've all got a little tally on the wall of uh, which doctors we've written for. So when you get offered a new one, you kind of go, yes, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I think this was the, oh God, losing track now, but I think this I think this was the first Capaldi I did. So yeah, I was very excited to do it. And I think because he's such a distinctive performance and I, I really like Clara as well. So it, it was a nice pairing to get to do. And it's always just really good fun to be offered a Doctor Who book. You never say no to them. So when they come to you, do they give you a brief or is it pretty open to what you want to do? So in this case, there was a sort of brief because there was a connecting theme, wasn't there? Weren't they the uh, the Glamour Chronicles? So they had sort of had this loose 
connection of this this idea of the glamour, this sort of mysterious substance that we we know very little about, or this mysterious force, I think is a better description, that, that was going to loosely connect these books. It's something that the, the Doctor and Clara are trying to find out about, and their adventures should involve that in some way. And as I recall, you're usually kind of given a steer of, can you make it futuristic or can you make it historical? And I think we were going, I, I, as I recall, it's quite a long time ago now, I suspect I must have been asked to make it fantastical in some way or, or fairy tale-ish in some way. And the thing that I settled on was sort of uh, uh, to use Arthurian legend because I thought I've not done an Arthur book at all. And I know Doctor Who's gone there, but that kind of gives you an excuse to go there again. Yeah. <laughs> so as I recall, it was it was mostly connecting to this theme of the Glamour Chronicles. And usually you're given a steer as, a, as kind of tone or genre, I guess. So fantastical. So with that Arthurian feel in mind, did you mm. do a bit of researching into all the myths and legends or did you feel that you knew enough beforehand? Well, I, I always feel like I, I don't know anything about Arthurian myth. And then I sort of sit and think about it. I think, I probably know slightly more than I think I do. But I, uh, the, the thing about these books is that they're, you're, you're quite constrained on word counts. See, you've not got a lot of space. So you can't go too deep. You can't, you can't kind of get into minutiae. You're sort of steered to pitch them to a readership of 8 to 14. So they are, you've got to bear in mind that these are children's books to be read by children or to be read by a parent with children. So that's something you're very, very conscious with. So what I wanted was I had in mind someone who perhaps this might even be their first encounter with an Arthurian story. So I sort of I sort of kept it very close to a central story, which is Arthur, Guinevere and Lancelot. And I kind of recast that love triangle into my fantastical world that I was using. The kind of conceit of the book is that the story isn't happening in medieval or, you know, post-Roman Britain. It's happening on a completely different world. But the kind of pattern of that story is repeating itself. And then the glamour arrives and complicates that in some in some way. So I wanted it to be almost an introduction to Arthur. I remembered when I was a kid, I, w- I would love I would read things like Dino and Jones and realise that uh, the story I was reading was maybe about Norse myth or something like that. And I'd go, oh, and then, you know, want to run off and find out about it. I don't think you'd get that with watching Doctor Who as well, don't you? You kind of go, oh, the Nymon are a Minotaur, you know. So, <laughs> so and that, that's a really, you know, I, I loved that kind of thing when I was eight or nine. So um, that was sort of something I wanted to do. That The kid reader would, would be really excited to see that pattern and realise it for themselves. Yeah, so that that was sort of the idea. An Arthurian story, but perhaps not directly a retelling. There's a thing about the, when the BBC books started out back with the, back in the days of the Ninth and Tenth Doctors, you'd get a, an adventure in the past, an adventure in the present, and one in the future or in space. And you kind yeah. of cheated by doing past and future at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, they're some of my favourite Doctor Who stories, I think. I, I really love things like um, Rybos Operation, where, you know, you're basically on a medieval planet, 
but space kind of hits. Yeah, <laughs> I love that kind of thing. I love sort of um, all all of history happening at once. I think that's more interesting because it you know it, it kind of shows you the artificiality of it in, in a way. So that's sort of another feel that I want I wanted happening here. I also I also love that thing that they do in Rybos where um, there's this kind of one person that goes, oh my God, I knew aliens were true. Yeah, and, and everyone else else is, you know, forsoothing it around the place. I kind of love that kind of thing as well. So uh, any excuse I get to do that, I, ju- I just really love that. I, I suspect that's, um, it's not just Bob Holmes, I suspect there's a there's a bit of influence of Douglas Adams there as well. It's very Douglas Adams things to do, isn't it? isn't it? Mix it all up. So, um, so I always try and do that. I think that pops up in a lot of my books because it entertains me. <laughs> oh, if you're going to be inspired, be inspired by the best. Exactly that. Exactly. I'm paying homage. It's not ripping off or copying. It's paying homage. Oh, homage! Ab- absolutely no. There's no. There's no ripping off at all. It's it's purely, uh, you know, an expression of my great admiration, devotion. <laughs> so, when you're doing your world building, particularly for this novel, did it help perhaps having that inspiration with the Arthurian world to help sort of build the template from which you're going to flesh the adventure out? Yeah, absolutely, and um, I think all these all these things they they are you can see why people go back to these myths because they give you these not just not just storylines but they give you a kind of tone and texture to the story that you're telling. So it helps immensely with world building. It probably feels uh, oh I I know it feels quite Tolkien in places because I I read Tolkien a lot. I've written a lot of fan fiction stories based on Tolkien's work. So I'm very, that world is very present in my imagination. And the things that I like from those stories are sorts of civilizations that have declined. So you're walking through a world where there's ruins of buildings that people couldn't build anymore, or there's kind of magical devices which might be technological, but you know, the, the people who are living now couldn't possibly design or manufacture those things so a little bit of that gets carried over into the book as well i re- i find that kind of thing really evocative and and interesting so i always pinch that from talking whenever i can let's chat with you about the doctor and clara because i think that this incarnation of the doctor is played by lord capaldi of glasgow he's got <laughs> such a distinctive voice and very much like a classic series doctor in many many ways yeah and then you've got just that wonderful way of talking to her so at least you'd had quite a few sort of stories on tv by this point to to capture his voice and hear it whereas some other writers with previous books have had to go with brief mm. clips mm, which I've, I've had to do in the past as well I, you sort of uh, you know I, I think when i was writing my uh, the jody book we, we had very little footage to go on um small amount of scripts and uh, i think i did one of the first matt smith books as well but we did we did get to see some episodes there and um sort of get a tone of voice but yeah like you say we had we had quite a lot of capaldi by then although i i think he his, his the characterization softens doesn't it it, it becomes less less bad-tempered and less abrasive just a little bit there's still that sort of like you say lord capaldi there's a there's a lot of uh, the lot of the patrician is still in it and and that abrasiveness is is still present but i think by this point it does feel a little a little bit softened more in a sort of consideration of clara perhaps so it's it's quite um you don't want the doctor being mean yeah that doesn't sit well uh, and I think it possibly, you know, they, they run into this with um, early scripts with uh, Colin Baker's Doctor as well. And it's much more enjoyable watching him and Perry have fun 
yeah, and be friends and, and like each other. And so I was happy to sort of write this pairing where, you know, I mean, they're always, with Clara, they're always bantering, yeah? Clara never lets him get one over her. But I like it when there's a more of a twinkle to their eyes, I think. So uh, so that's, I think, why I enjoyed doing it at, at this point in the show in particular. And you mentioned earlier that you're a fan of Clara, because mm. for some reason, which I've never quite understood, she gets a bad press from a lot of people in fandom. Yeah. I think she's fantastic. I think Jenna brings a lot of charm and fun to her and also presence as well, and she can hold her own. Absolutely. I think it's, and when you put someone who's so physically imposing the way Peter Capaldi is, I I just feel real chemistry between them. You know, it's not it, 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 the, the chemistry of friendship. Yeah. The chemistry of something, something that you put in a screwball comedy. Yeah. And, and that's generosity of performance on both sides. Yeah. But I think she just, and it's a hard act to follow, following um, Amy Pond, I think, and those stories. But Clara just sort of sparkles onto the screen and, uh, you know, holds her own and has her own life and all these things and, and and Jenna's great she's lovely so what do you call about the writing process for this one were there many changes along the way or wee tweaks that were needed so I distinctly remember writing this sitting in a coffee shop in Cambridge on a Saturday morning and watching all these people coming in enjoying their weekend and me sitting there going what the hell am I doing with my life <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going, oh, but what they do not know is that I am writing a Doctor Who book. And that is obviously the best thing to be doing on a Saturday morning. So so as ever, I think you're always very short of time writing these books because the, uh, the kind of approvals process is such that uh, television is a very busy thing to make. And uh, approvals for the novels are often very, very late <laughs> in the on the, on the to-do list so uh, usually we're doing them quite quickly which which is why I'm in coffee shops on Saturday morning eating a really good bacon but sandwiches I remember but that's sort of I think the kind of stories that they are you want to feel like you've got some kind of um, propulsion uh, in, in your writing that having to do them quite quickly is is I, I hope serves the story that the pace is fast yeah you want these to be you want these to be enjoyable reads and fast-paced reads so so that's sort of my memories of the writing process i think i don't, I don't know if that's telling much but <laughs> that's, that's what i recall you'll buy coffee into coffee shops and and, and bacon <laughs> chiefly can't go without bacon can't go without bacon. absolutely yeah. the thing that i love that it very much the Doctor and Clara are absolutely you can read it you know exactly whose voices there are even if you didn't read descriptions and I think the fact there's some act, really you know some really good action here the fact that there's battlefield action as well and that's not a pun referring to the Seventh Doctor's Arthurian <laughs> involvement at all very um, good yeah I, I think there's it's, it feels very dynamic how hard do you find to capture that because it's it's a real skill to be able to transfer exciting visuals mm. in the mind's eye onto the printed page Oh well, I'm I find that incredibly difficult because I, I'm a real first person narrator. Uh, you know, I like using first person. I like kind of being inside somebody's head. I find it almost impossible to visualise things myself. So I always think like I'm doing a really shonky job of writing action. Uh, so if it has conjured up images in your head, I'm really I'm really pleased about that. I think I just try and convey the excitement of the moment, not the excitement, but the peril of the moment, the fearfulness of the moment, the breathlessness of the moment. And if I get you feeling those emotions, then I, I'm hoping that you kind of plug in your own pictures for that sort of thing. 
so good. I'm glad it. I'm glad it comes out. And we've all watched loads of battle sequences and, and that sort of thing. So um, uh, I'm hoping you've got a ready-made set of images that you sort of are able to plug those in. Hooray! I'm glad they. <laughs> glad that works. I think it's, we've got that because we've seen, as you say, there's that visual storytelling yeah. shorthand that we can we can mm. picture. We know what will be going on in the background. We can imagine swords clunking and everything else. We've seen enough Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, and battlefield. We've seen Game of Thrones. Way. You've. Yeah. yeah, you've seen Lord of the Rings, you've seen Excalibur, so you yep. know it should have. You've seen Robin of Sherwood, it, it should all have a feel of that, and it and it's a mood or a tone or an emotion or a flavour that I try and communicate, because your your imagination will do the rest. Uh, I've just got to put down words that meet you halfway. I think. Yeah. So when you submitted it, did you remember anything coming back? Any particular notes? How did you find working with Justin Richards as your editor and, of course, Steve Tribe as well? Absolutely solid. I think you you just always got a kind of, you felt that, uh, and, and I've always had these this with the Doctor Who books, uh, you always felt that the editing team had your back. First of all, because, you know, Justin's going to know, know more about Doctor Who than than I you know than I will know. So he'll pick up things that, uh, you know, won't, won't work or, or I've missed the boat on. And at the same time, hugely experienced and very, very good at spotting where a, where a story isn't connecting or moving fast enough. Mindful of readership, I think, was another thing as well. So uh, always saying, you know, that that might not fly with, with the younger readers or uh, just bear in mind that there might be, you know, a, a nine or a 10 year old here. And, and what can we do to sort of make it as... Um, as welcoming a book as possible. I think that I think that's what's lovely about these books is that you don't have to have read a load of science fiction. This can be the first Doctor Who book that you pick up in this range, and it feels inclusive. You you feel like you're being welcomed to reading Doctor Who books, and that was that's all the kind of guidance from uh, the editorial team. That kind of tone and flavour it set. So yeah, always completely solid, uh, and and would always put their finger on the thing that you kind of had in a manuscript you go i think that bit's a bit shonky and then it's like top note you get back yeah you know that's a bit shonky <laughs> that doesn't connect up uh, maybe a bit of a plot hole here you know oh, okay you spotted that one yeah so vastly experienced extremely good yeah and then of course next part of it getting the cover through that must have been a real joy thinking we're virtually there oh, when you get that through yeah. <laughs> it's lovely isn't it it really gets the arthur stuff and the buildings in the background are beautiful as well because i think they they kind of convey that we're not in tintagel or um you know uh, monty python and the holy grail we're in a slightly different world so i'm really pleased with that i think it looks lovely <laughs> and it's quite convenient that uh, jenna had worn uh an appropriate outfit with, with the Robin Hood yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very handy, isn't it? I don't think it's... It's not this book. I've got a review of one of my Doctor Who books uh, on Amazon, which says, uh, five stars, Clara's cleavage great on cover, didn't read the book. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, well, I can't really complain because I've got five stars there, you know? Slightly sexist in an understatement. Just a little way. It's like, okay, mate, that's that's fine. But you know, I'll take those five stars. I, I'm not, I don't think it was this one, but um, yeah, it's it's a great cover, isn't it? It's uh, it does the job. I think we've got lovely Glamour Chronicles banner on it as well. So good reaction to it at the time. Great reviews, and that must have been really pleasing. To think, yep, here we go. Job done. 
Well, naturally, of course, I never look at reviews. So, of course. <laughs> I'm never checking its rating on Goodreads or whatever. But uh, yeah, people seem to have liked it. So uh, I, I can't complain. <laughs> so, how do you look back on it now? I, you know, I hadn't looked at it for absolutely ages. I, I really hadn't. And, it, and my life's changed in, in lots and lots of ways since. I've got uh, my kid is much older. I had, a, I had a small child at the time. I was still working in academia. So it's like, obviously, we've all come through COVID. So it's like a book from a different age in my life. And I thought, oh, is it is it going to stand up? And and I sort of read through it. And I thought, you know, this isn't this isn't bad. I <laughs> think this is okay. I I can see what I did there, and I'm I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. It's sort of it, it came together quite nicely. So yeah, I'm pleased with it. I, and I hadn't read it. I think you know since it came out. I usually reread things when they come out because you're you're going to be doing interviews. Yeah, so you you'll have written it and then not looked at it for several months, and then you know, you promoted books, you've got to go back and have a look. So you have that first going back to something quite quite soon after, uh, which is always quite a tricky relationship. But coming back to something, what, five, well, what, but, but five, seven years on, I think, I thought it stood up okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly who it is. That's the great thing. The voices are distinct. So yeah, it was, gosh, it was eight years ago, published 10th of September, 2015. <gasps> well, wow, 2015, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I had, a, I had a very, very small child, which should explain why I'm in a cafe eating a bacon sandwich on a Saturday morning, right? <laughs> you sound like J.K. Rowling when you put it like that. Oh yeah, if only, well, a little, a little bit more of that money. <laughs> yeah, of course, the story continues to live on when uh, it was given a release as an audiobook and it was. read by the wonderful David Warner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you can't complain, can you? Obviously, extremely pleased. David Warner did. Um, I, I did a. I did a doc, an Unbound Doctor as well, which uh, David Warner was in, which is one of the Doctor Who scripts of Big Finish. I'm proudest of. So I've been very, very lucky in in people that I've had to read my books and um, perform my Big Finishes. So uh, yeah, can't complain again. It's not a bad life, is it? Definitely isn't. Well, I'm feeling I'm sort of living in yours vicariously. So, uh, <laughs> thank you for you. You do all right too, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I do. I'm not going to deny it. I, I'm a very lucky fella. I'm getting to. We have a great time. Yeah. It's uh, it's not bad for a for a, a daft old show about a person in a blue box that we were watching all those years ago. Exactly. A, a mere 30 years ago since it first broadcast. <laughs> yes, because it's Doctor Who's only celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like like we're all celebrating our 21st. Yeah. Well, I was 19 in 1993. So, and I even had hair yeah. back then. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> you still got yours, though. That's a I know. Difference. It's a bit, bit greyer than it was, but uh, I can't. At least well, you've you got know. it. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so Una, can you tell us what else you've been working on more recently? Well, as we record, my latest book has just come out, and that's a book based on a TV show called Firefly, which people surely remember as a, a space western, uh, and it's called Coup de Gras, and uh, it's, a, it's a sort of homage to True Grit, so if people have read True Grit or, or watched either of the True Grit movies, imagine that, but with the Firefly crew. Uh, what's not to like? <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'll be having a quick look on uh, in my local uh, bookshop tomorrow. I'll get it ordered. 
yes please and always of course we should <laughs> yes, point out please. support your local bookshop absolutely and bookshop.org is uh, is great for um, in the UK as well thank you so much it's been an absolute joy as always my pleasure thank you very much for asking me thank you Huge thanks to Una for taking the time to chat. She did that a few weeks ago. She just literally came back from holiday and one of the first things she did, she promised me the interview, (laughs) so she did it. So huge thanks to Una for that. But of course, as we go through these books, we've been checking in with reviews. Mm -hmm. We've finished with iWho. And we've been using DWM now as our reference point. And I've got the review here, which is written by Steve O'Brien, who I've known for... 31 years now. Is that the chap that was at SFX? For That's ages? the one. All right, I'd like it for a minute, Steve Oh, O'Brien. he's lovely. Very cheeky chap. Hello, Steve O'Brien, if you're listening. He even posted a video clip of me from 1992 when I'm chatting to Nick Pegg and Gary Russell right. on YouTube. He found it and converting a VHS. Right. And I had no memory of this at all, so it was quite fun to okay. see that. Okay, I'll have to see that. We'll yep. share, maybe share it on social so you can all see what Kenny looked like with hair, listeners. Yeah, although I was doing my Rick from the young one's sideburns phase and it looks awful and I'm quite embarrassed by that. But hey, <laughs> what you gonna do? So yes, let's have a look to see what DWM says and what Steve O'Brien said. Given that we're promised a less venom-tongued doctor on television this year, it's noticeable how reined in the doctor's rudeness is in royal blood compared to last year's batch of novels. McCormick not only nails the 12th Doctor's impatient snippiness, but also Clara's warmth and raillery. With so much of the dialogue constrained by courtly formality, I chafe at this inaction, says the Duke at one point. Clara's minty directness is a pleasing balance. This first book in the Glamour Chronicles series wraps up its own story with a nice neat bow, but leaves its questions hanging as to the nature of the glamour. So, what is it exactly? And why are so many people after it? Questions, it seems, for Big Bang Generation and Deep Time to answer. And do you know what we should do? We should feature them at some point in the near future as well. And we'll find out what the Glamour Chronicles are. Was that the whole review? That's the whole review there, but I've just read out that bit there. All right, I think you didn't know the thing. Nah, too much of it. We'll All right, okay. Some <laughs> That's very short. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll have a proper read of that then in a minute once yeah. we've finished to so yeah. see what I think. Yeah, because our pal Mr. Baxendale um, and our pal Mr. Russell wrote the other ones, so it should be easy enough to kind of get them on to, to have a chat. Interesting, if, so were there 12 Doctor books? Oh, yeah, of course, there was The Crawling Terror, wasn't there? Yep. And um, Justin's one, Silhouette. Yes. And Mike, some Mike Tucker did was The Crawling Terror. The, was there one with the Paternoster gang? Ah, oh, that was Silhouette by right. Justin Richards. Okay. And the third one in that series was. I can't remember. I've got a copy of The Crawling Terror. Crawling terror, so I know that much. So it's interesting, Steve, they are saying that the Twelfth Doctor's rudeness and stuff being reined in because I kind of felt that he still had that detachment, which is that quality the Doctor has had in the past. The Fourth Doctor had it at points, um, but I, 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 it was always it always left me a bit cold. Says David, making the same point he's already made three billion times already. Oh, don't worry. And <laughs> the other novel was The Blood Cell by James Goss. Of course it was. I knew that because I've got an issue of 2000 AD with Blood Cell written on it. Well, there we go. My <laughs> ongoing thread. I also got one for Royal Blood, actually, as well. Excellent. I look forward to seeing that and one. my mm-hmm. ongoing thread. Listeners, check out Who Book Comics on Instagram or follow me on Twitter if you can be bothered yep. to, you should. to indulge me with these because it's a lot of fun. It is. I've it's a hell four. of a lot of fun. I've got about 40 of them left. They're going to be daily in November because then I'm going to try and finish them at the end of the year. But I found another 13th Doctor one the other night, which is fun. 
Anyway, I think it's fair to say that we both enjoyed Royal Blood and it bodes well because I do want to know how the Glamour Chronicles finished because I've forgotten. Right. Did you read all, did you read all three of the books? I did. I read them as soon as they were published. I mean, these came out in, let me think, 2015, September, September. 2015. Yeah, so run a bit of time the series had been on, actually. Yeah. Yep. And about a year after the, the other books were the looks of things. Interesting. Yep. So yeah, definitely, let's go back and have a look at them um, perhaps early next year. Yeah, we can do that. That sounds Absolutely. good. Brilliant. Well, Dave, I've got a question for you. Go ahead. Dave. Kenny. Given that we've been listening to... Oh, we're not reading. Play, we, can't, we can't have a song by Royal Blood because they were terrible at that Radio 1 thing a couple of months okay. ago. Okay, well, in that case, that's that real <laughs> I was wondering... What a bunch of dicks, quite frankly. I was just Hang thinking on. that have you got, if I brought my copy and my audiobook version... Right. Put it with yours. Then you could have said we had Royals. And that would make me think of that song by Lordy. Right. I don't know it, so it's all up to you. Okay. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to think of like anything else with the word blood or royal in the, the title that we could have maybe picked, but I don't know. Ken, you always pick the songs anyway, so what are we having? We're going to go with Royals by Lordy, who is not Stan Marsh's dad in South Park. On that bombshell. Aha! Thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow. Hopefully you'll join us. Bye-bye. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies And I'm not proud of my address In a torn up town No postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth Grey goose dripping in the bathroom Bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room We don't care We're driving Cadillacs in our dreams But everybody's like crystal Maybach Diamonds on your timepiece Jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash We don't care We aren't caught up in your love affair And we'll never be wrong